got a story we're going to read from the Bible, and I'm going to expand on that. And as we get towards the end, there will be um, some colouring for you to do, children, to do with it. And so you need to listen to the story so that you will know what it is you're colouring in. So I need you to listen to the story because I'm going to ask some questions. Right. Do you ever have times when you feel you just can't cope? When everything seems too hard or you're really scared about something? When you don't know how to carry on? Or you're really not sure you can trust someone or you can't trust something? Or you just feel overwhelmed? Maybe you've got a test at school. Maybe you've got a hospital appointment you've got to go to. Worries about money, how you're going to pay for something. Or you're going somewhere and you've got completely lost. Maybe you're thinking God can't help with this or that and you're doubting him. Or you've got to do something. Maybe even something you feel God has given you to do and you just don't know how you're going to do it. We're going to look at a story from the Bible where a man gets very frightened, but he finds that God is there all the while and he doesn't need to be afraid. The story is in 2 Kings chapter 6. It's during the time of the prophet Elisha. His story, the story of Elisha is told throughout two kings. Elisha has done many amazing things through God's power. He's known as the man of God. Even the king of Israel seeks his advice. In our story today, Elisha has been given the power from God to be able to hear what the king of Aram, who is an enemy of Israel, is saying even when he's nowhere near him. It makes the king of Aram very angry. So let's read the story, the first part of the story. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord king, as my lord the king, said one of the officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So, question time. What is it that's making the king of Aram so angry? Says enraged in the passage, Nyla. Oh, right, yes, someone's like spying on him or something, yeah, yeah. What did he actually find, what did the officer tell him was actually happening? So there's a war going on, 
And the king of Aram is trying to set up traps and ambush the king of Israel's armies. But the king of Israel is being told what's happening. And he gets there and then the Arameans can't make them jump and the whole foil is planned. Who's doing that? Who's letting the king of Israel know? Elisha, thank you. Elisha, how? How is he doing that? Nyla. Even in his bedroom. That's right. Elisha had been given the power by God to hear what the king of Aram was saying, no matter where he was, even in his bedroom. And so the king of Israel got to hear what was happening through Elisha and the king of Aram's plans were foiled. He was really, really cross or enraged, as it said. Let's read what the king of Aram does about it. There'll be some more pictures on the screen. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men to capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all round Elisha. So the king of Aram orders his men to find out where Elisha is so he can send men to capture him. When he finds out where he is, he sends um, horses and chariots, a strong force, and he sends them by night so they surround the city. That king must have thought Elisha was a very strong or very dangerous man to send that many forces just for one man, mustn't they? When his servant gets up in the morning and he goes out and sees the mighty horse force, all the horses and chariots and soldiers, what does he do? Is he scared? Is the servant scared when he sees all that force? Don't you? I I think he was brave later, but I don't think he was brave at that point. He was really scared. What are we going to do? There's all these forces around us. How are we going to get away? Nyla. Yeah, he needed to trust in God. But to start with, he's really scared. Very scared. He calls Elisha. What should we do? What does Elisha say? Is he scared? Do you think Elisha was scared? Was Elisha, was Elisha scared? No. no, he wasn't scared. Didn't seem bothered at all, actually, does he? Don't be afraid, he says to his servant, 
Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The servant, probably a bit confused by that because there was only him and Elisha. He can only see the army of Aram, the chariots and the horses and the soldiers. But Elisha prays for him. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he will see. And the Lord opens his eyes, and when the servant looks again, what does he see? He looks out of that window again. He sees all the forces, but he sees something else. Chariots of fire. Amen. He looks up and he sees, as in that picture up there, he sees the horses and the chariots. And um, Bible scholars, although it doesn't say so, Bible scholars believe that they would have been would have been being led by angels. This was a heavenly army. Wow. Elisha wasn't afraid because he knew it was God's power that had allowed him to hear what the king of Aram was, say, was planning. He knew God was his he- had his heavenly army protecting him. He, his faith told him God would be there. His faith allowed him to do what to see, rather, what some have called the unseen real. That is the spiritual realm where God lives and moves. He had no shadow of doubt that God was protecting him. And when he prays for God to open the servant's eyes, he could see it too. God was there all the time. The servant didn't need to be afraid. We sing a song, don't we? There is a day. And one line in that song says, So lift your eyes to the things as yet unseen that will remain now for all eternity. That comes from 2 Corinthians. It says, So we fix our eyes on what is not not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I had been worrying about something. And uh, last Saturday, I was in the garden, praying about it, asking God to show me a sign, to give me an answer. And I heard a noise, a bird call. And I looked up to see two red kites soaring over our road. I just love seeing them. We often get the red kites flying above our place um, because we're quite near some open land and some some woodland. And the red kites were soaring, and they just go, don't they? They just effortlessly fly round and round, trusting those thermals to get them up in the air. And it just looks so... I'd love, in one sense, to be up there, but I know I'd be scared. But it just looks so effortless, doesn't it, when they're up there? So I was watching them for a while. And while I was watching them soaring high, I felt God saying to me, look at them. See how effortlessly they soar. They trust thermals and soar. You put your trust in me. And you'll soar effortlessly too. Rest effortlessly in me. All will be well. 
And a verse came to me from Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. And I just knew that was my answer. Obviously, I won't actually soar in the sky on wings of eagles or any other bird for that matter. But when we put our hope in God, when we trust him, just as those kites were effortlessly soaring, we can effortlessly rest in God's care. In times of danger, in our fears, our doubts, our worries, we can trust God. Even when we can't see him working in the unseen real, the heavenly realms, God is working. Last week we sang Waymaker. I was going to sing this, but my voice won't allow me now. So, Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Do you believe that? It's such a mantra to keep and to tell yourself. Hebrews chapter 11, 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. As we journey with God, growing in wisdom and maturity, we will increasingly sense the things of his kingdom. We'll have glimpses of the unseen real, which will encourage us and strengthen our faith. And we'll experience joy in welcoming others into the kingdom. So fix your eyes on the unseen. Even when there are heavy clouds, the sun is still shining above them. We can't see it, but it's there. That's how I like to think of God. We can't see him. We can't see the sun, but we know it's there. We can't see him, but we know he's there always. I heard a talk by Joyce Meyer once, and she said, when it doesn't look like God is doing anything, like prayers aren't being answered, remind yourself, I believe God is working. Keep repeating it. Get it fixed in your mind, in your soul. He's never let me down yet. I've no reason to think he'll, he will now. I will fix my eyes on him and on things as yet unseen, the unseen real. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are always there. You are always working for our good in the heavenly realms. You are always our comforter and our guide. Even when we can't see you, you are working. Thank you that you have your armies, the heavenly army, able to come to our aid just as you did for Elisha. Help us, Lord, to trust you the way Elisha did to know that unseen real, to know that you're there even though we might not be able to see you, to be forever assured of your presence with us.
Help us, Lord, to put our trust totally in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jackie's sermon today was on putting our trust in God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and resting in that trust. And I thought I'd elaborate practically on that a little bit further. So what does resting mean? Does resting mean just we just rest and do nothing? Um, so I thought it might be helpful to just open this up a little bit, especially due to the fact that in today's culture we're rushing about a thousand miles an hour. And in fact, people often ask how you're doing, and the reply is, oh, I'm really, really busy, as opposed to replying and saying how you're doing. Um, it's almost like a, you've got a badge of honour in terms of how busy you are in today's age. Um, not saying that busy being busy is a bad thing, but what does it actually mean to be resting in Jesus in this day and age? Um, so there's two contrasting heresy in the church um, on either end of the spectrum, one, one in relation to resting and one in relation of, to striving. Um, and on one hand of the extreme on the resting side since something called antinomianism, which means that Christians adopt the stance of, I'm just not going to bother, God's going to do everything, and I'm just going to sit there and let him work. The other end of the spectrum is legalism, which means that um, I'm going to trust in my faith, but also in my works and, and attain for merit. Um, so it's very similar to legalism, it's very similar to the earning culture we live in. So on one side, antinomianism says rest and do nothing, and the other side says really strive and you can earn it. Um, and often heresy will straddle two extremes of, of the truth. So biblically speaking, we've got those two extreme ideologies who, who are you know, very extreme in their nature. And biblically speaking, where do we stand? Um, we know that being adopted into God's family, um, in other words, salvation, is God's work alone. We know that he alone saves and he alone elects his people. Um, the technical word for that is monogistic. Mono means singular or one person. So it's his act, one person's act, and in this situation... It's God's only act. And that's evident in the Bible in Ephesians 2, 8-9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, you know, it's God's revealing work of his character to us before we can then recognize it against our own character. That person's heart is then warmed up and... Turned, turns to God and says, I'm in need of a saviour because I see your character against mine, in which that person's trust is put in God and his sacrifice to cover our sins and redeem us to the person we are through his love. So this is a work of God, and in this we find rest. In his monogistic, his one singular person work by himself that he's done, and we know that that rests upon the singular person of Christ. So in no matter what the circumstances we have in this life, we know that we're comforted in this truth. So establishing it as God's work alone, and we are redeemed into his family. So what happens then? We, we all know you, know, you come to faith. Um, it's an about turn of life. What happens then is you know, the rest of life. Um, so the development of a Christian's person, a Christian person, their character, um, that's, and I'm throwing in a few words, that's sanctification. So that is not monogistic, but that is synergistic. Synergistic meaning that is the work of more than one person. So we had monogistic, which is God's act of saving someone, and then for the rest of their life is a synergistic act, which means more than one person acts, and that person works 
in tandem with God for the rest of their life. Um, so that same passage in Ephesians 2, which is, you know, amazing and says, you know, for by grace you've been saved, it's not by works, it's God's work alone, then goes on to say in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in other words, God's prepared them, we need to position ourselves and walk through them. So resting in God and what he's done, because only he alone can do them, but then from then on developing your own nature by positioning yourself and walking through what God has planned in our work lives, in our you know, Christian um, at church service lives, in, in every single aspect of life, walking through what God has prepared beforehand for us. So to summarize, saved by faith, by God alone. We take comfort in that. Um, it's the pinnacle of our Christian life in that we worship only Christ as the atoning sacrifice stemming from God's love. Then from faith in God and Christ, our continued development is not just one of rest. We are to walk through life resting on what he's done and who he is, knowing that he will bring us forth, but we must walk through the hurdles that he puts in front of us and trusting that he will help us through them. Um, so to paraphrase, to paraphrase and wrap this all up, um, James says, faith can only be seen, so this is very much paraphrase, um, James says, faith can only be seen by your actions and your words. So where we place our faith and trust is naturally where we will orientate our lives. We see that in everything. You know, people idolize money, power, respect, um, but we're called to f- seek first God and know that the promise that everything else will stem once we seek him first. So that's my prayer for you all, that we will know we will rest in God, we will continue to strengthen and walk through our life with God orientating us and and do that together with him.